Okay, with Roberto Serini, Disco Sauce, the untold story of true story of Penny Alavaca, 35 minute, uh, minute documentary film, really tightly edited, nice pace to it. it. Like it flies by, it feels like a, like a 20 minute film. And it's really kind of talking about the origin story of, of this dish, Penny Alavaca. And you get all these excellent interviews with all these like pretty high up um, chefs. So amazing job i have like I, I how's the film doing so far in the festival circuit it's doing really really well um you know we didn't really think we didn't really know what we had so uh it, it's great to get all this great feedback uh especially through your festival as well which i think is uh is fantastic the way that you deal with feedback so uh it's been really nice to hear everyone's you know love of the film yeah it's, so tell me about the origin story of this of the making of this origin story so when did it first kind of pop up for you that this could be a movie so uh we had done a film prior called italy and boca which is based off these rare funky cookbooks where we uh, took some recipes out of them and went to some of the best places around new york and tried to recreate this meal and this was uh just at the beginning of pandemic like right the night that it actually shut down in new york um, and that documentary did really well that uh, people started to take notice and call us to ask if we could develop it into a show, a series. Okay. So this was kind of the, the product of that thinking, well, what can we do on a, on a weekly level where we take a dish, we break it down, we talk to these chefs, we go to these places and basically try to bring all these cultures and different faces around our table and, uh, you know, discover the unique history of these dishes that we all you know, kind of know in the background, but never really think about. So then did this turn into anything more than like, as you were discussing it? It is, it is, uh, you know, we just finished it and we've just, you know, my first steps were obviously to get it into festivals because, uh, you know, they want to see it first. They want premieres. Um, and then we started sending it back out to the people that have asked before, can you develop this into a series? And they've been, you know, not, they've been blown away. They've been blown away. They, they can't believe we put this together with just, you know, two people. And yeah. as a proof of concept, they're like, this is more than enough that, that we need to kind of bring it out and see if anyone wants to fully produce it. So, okay. So you're just, so the, the, the concept is that you're going to do other dishes in different episodes. Yeah, for sure. We're going to do all <laughs> kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, you know, uh, sweet and sour chicken and, uh, you know, the, the origin of the chicken nugget, uh, Frankfurters, you know, it, it could be anything. That's the great thing about this show is that, uh, you know, we love food, Peter and I, and uh, we love high-end cuisine and we like, you know, dirty street rat uh, yeah. food that we eat on, on the streets of New York. And, you know, we're trying to find that balance of like, well, what are the, what are the most interesting dishes that have the strangest history and are going to be the most controversial? Because for us, the, the the crux of this is is getting the different voices on these dishes. So if it's an Italian dish, I want to know how a Korean chef would do it or a Senegalese chef or, you know, Australian chef, because those are the different flavors that are going to make this really interesting. And I think after just doing penne alla vodka, you know, the proof is the, the condiments, the ingredients that they gave us were so unique and special and really did transform this simple dish into like a whole nother, you know, lexicon flavor. So it's been interesting to see that and, and to figure out like, well, what, what else can we do? You know, what else can we bring that light to? So yeah. well, uh, we're you, excited. You guys are excellent yeah. storytellers. Like, so there, it, it's, it, it's one of those films that looks easy 
<laughs> like like because it's so well flowed and it is <laughs> you can tell like if you I watch it for the second third time and you can you're breaking you can break down your film from a filmmaking level it's like whoa these guys there's some really difficult uh, uh transitions of storytelling in your film with the interview it's like this 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 film was done in the editing room I'm assuming yeah, it, it was because there was no script and, you know, we, we just really went out with a camera for a couple of days and, and, and brought the bricks home and started to build the house. I have a real strong background as an editor. That's how I started in this in this business. Okay. Uh, even though I wanted to be a director from the beginning, you know, no one just gives you directing jobs. So I started as an assistant and made my way up through the ranks. And it definitely influences the way that I make films because they do happen mostly in the edit room. So I'm glad you appreciate that. that it did take a while to kind of put together and formulate the story, but it was more because there was just so much story that, you know, there was a constant evolution of like, and now this and now that. Yeah. You know, skies were really- It opens a can of worms, but what did you, okay, so you, you must have had some sort of spine, right? So you must have had some sort of outline before you started filming. Yeah. We absolutely did. I mean, we definitely wanted to introduce the dish, do the history, and then go to the chefs. And, you know, New York's a great place because there's a lot of wonderful chefs that are maybe celebrity in their own right, but they're definitely well-known in, like, you know, foodie communities. Yeah. So we were able, even though it was the pandemic, to sit down with a lot of them and have them, you know, do a quick interview for us and give us their opinions. And from there... You know, we knew we wanted to source the ingredients, but what was fun was that some of the chefs gave us ingredients that we never heard of. Like, personally, I've never heard of Gokujan, you know, chili paste. And yeah. now it's like I obsess over it. And I started to see it in like Trader Joe's even now where I'm like, oh, if you want to go to the source of like the next hot ingredient, the chef is going to tell you because they're the ones making the dishes. They're the ones influencing the culture. And then you're going to start asking, well, what makes this so good? And then a year later, you're going to see it at Trader Joe's or your, your local uh, specialty market uh, because those places exist, but they're, they're in specialty markets that they know. Like Chef Jay was like, oh, go to H Mart, which is a Korean shop. And I love that place, but I would never know what to get there because it's of just course. piles and piles of, of new material for me. But because he gave me the tip off, I went in there, I was able to ask for it, and I got it. And now it's like one of my new favorite things and totally transforms that dish into something completely different. So it's those conversations that we weren't planning for. We didn't script them, but like we discovered them as we went along. And it was a natural kind of evolution of how the, the film should go, the script should go. So, okay. So what, uh, where did you, like, what motivates these chefs to get, for you to sit down and kind of interview them? Like what? Egos, pure fat ego. <laughs> They're huge <laughs> egos. No, um, what motivates them is they love food. You yeah. Know? And uh, we love food. And I think I've done enough work where I can contact someone blindly and go, hey, I, I make documentary films about food and they they see they've won awards, they're well-produced, sure. and, and they're willing to give me literally 15 minutes of their time. I make it as easy as possible for them. I'm like, it's just me and the camera. I bring a couple of cameras. I lob them up. Like, it's a one-man show. You, like, so you're, because you get, you get, you get set up quickly. You figure, find, find the frame, find yeah. the area, and then you set up quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the sacrifice is you're not getting the best sound quality. The framing might be a little bit off sometimes because they might be moving. Um, if I had a crew, like all those kinks would make it look like a, a real film or a more polished film. But in its own way, 
you know, if you know that it's one person doing it, that we're doing it just from passion. There's no budget behind it. Yeah. And they're being on camera just for passion because they like talking about it. That I like to see, you know, that's the reality and that's the authenticity of being a filmmaker that just wants to make films without reason other than they want to bring something to life. So it doesn't bother me so much. Uh, I know it bothers showrunners and producers when we bring it to them and they're like, oh, I wish the audio was a little bit better here. And, you know, okay. obviously with a budget and another person running it, it would be. But I think it's important just to get it out there to begin with. And you'll be forgiving of those mistakes if the content is good. As you said, it's a proof of concept that that shows like, I'm just curious about the length because 35 minutes is kind of a, a kind of a strange uh, time in terms of like, did you, no, I'm just curious, would you want to make it 22 minutes? Like, or yeah, like you know, minutes? Cause that's the two, <laughs> I guess it's the service world now, but I guess but it, I, I'm still thinking like a TV show, right? Yeah, I know it's a, it's a weird thing. And, I don't think I did it on purpose, but I was very happy that it ended up being this uh, obtuse length because if it was 22 minutes and it wasn't exactly what they wanted to see for a broadcast you know, spot where there were commercial breaks and all that, uh, they wouldn't be interested. And if it was an hour, um, it might not hit the same way as well. But the 35, you know, the, the response I get back from from producers and showrunners are like, well, we could easily extend it to an hour, you know, or, you know, think of like Netflix or other streaming platforms, you know, every episode of Chef Table is a little different, a little longer, a little shorter, like it's not the standardized format, or yeah. they go, we can easily shorten it down or break it up into three pieces so that it would fit in a broadcast model. So sometimes being a little ambiguous uh, works. I felt, you know, this was a story, we told everything, I cut out anything that I felt was boring or arbitrary and that was the length it was. And, you know, like people, to me, films are just the length they have to be. And uh, if it needed to be longer, it would have been, and if it needed to be shorter, it would have been, but you know, that's how she turned out. Okay. So you did the, you did, you did the interviews first and then you went to the, you went to your the editing suite and kind of figured out what else other footage you needed from there. Is that what your process was? No. <laughs> okay. not really we uh we did the interviews we went shopping because we knew what we had to get and then we did the cooking because we knew what we were cooking okay so we shot everything in like two days let's just okay. say um i don't know then, if you're talking in metaphors or you do you really went shopping so go ahead, go ahead. Oh, yeah no this is this is how it went down this is the actual production okay so we did the interviews because we wanted to know what the chefs would make and how they make them and they were going to give us ingredients that we didn't know and then we're like, okay, we got to go find the uh, sesame oil and oh, uh, gotcha. curry sauce, okay. John, like, you know, these things we never heard of. And we sourced them and we went to them. And, we, you know, we obviously knew we needed tomatoes and chili peppers because we knew the original recipe. And then, um, you know, we went back to the loft and just started cooking and, and drinking a bit and, um, you know, had a good time. Like literally just had a good time because that's where all of this comes from is we just like to cook and make these obscene meals for our friends. So that was, you know, easy to do, you know, just the cooking and, and stuff. Um, and then in the edit room, piecing it together, the history stuff is all done in animation for the most part. Uh, we grabbed another interview with the uh, limo driver that happened to know this actor yeah. uh, because we found him. So we, you know, we could fill in a couple spots, like it would be nice to show this or do that. The opening I shot afterwards because I had this little nod to F is for fake that I wanted to do. But like other than that, I would say 90% of the, the filming was done in the first two days. 
But you you got but you also you got some stock footage, I guess, right? What's the stock footage? Uh, you know, I pulled elements off the internet and animated them. Like so, anytime you see that stuff, that's not an interview or us shopping or in the kitchen. You know, that was afterwards. You know, either creating it, creating that content from stock, or you know, filming something specific like an interview. So there's a couple. There's some scenes where you're in the film. You yourself are in the film. Did you just like put the camera on, on like the table and like yeah. framed it? Yeah. So uh, it's an A7. Uh, I got a Sony A6000 uh, with a little okay. art lens and then like a tiny little Osmo. And between those three cameras, you know, basically like a GoPro for a wide and, yeah. you know, a handheld in my hand, which you normally see. And then another one that's on a tripod. It's enough angles to cut around dialogue and, you know, keep it moving. And you, then you got the montage of the of the cooking itself. So I guess you kind of like did that yourself and kind of like just did all the close ups of the tomatoes and the cheese and the pasta. Yeah, I mean, Peter, for the most part, did the cooking because he's uh, technically excellent at that. So and, uh, you know, he's easy to direct and he kind of knows our flow. Um, so I was manning the camera while he was putting it together. And then every once in a while, you know, all right, get, get a shot of me uh, tasting the pepper or get a shot of me doing this just to get the camera off of him for a bit. Cause I want to be on screen too. So, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's how that would go. We just kind of go back and forth. And then you got like these really cool insert shots, like of like your, you go to Wikipedia and like, and then you go into like people's restaurants and then you have like the, the, the yearbooks and stuff like that. Like some really cool insert shots, like you're editing, like so, like always breakneck, breakneck pace, I guess, right? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, we I worked in commercials most of my career, okay. so everything is about you know get to the story and get fast. Um, so a lot of that comes from like, all right, how can I make this visually interesting with the maximum amount of information? How many versions of of this uh, pot, like uh, penny alavaca, have you eaten, like? How many different birds, like from different restaurants, different, like. I mean, uh, over my lifetime, more than I can probably. No, but since when the film started, how many versions did you eat? We must have eaten at least a dozen different versions. Okay. Um, again, it's not that you're going to find a lot of variation. There are like, I know um, Carbone is pretty much well known for their, what they call spicy rigatoni now, but they used to call penne alla vodka. Yeah. And, you know, at almost 40 bucks for a plate of pasta, it's absurd. Like if you ask any Italian, anyone really, you know, would you pay $40 for tomato and, and a bit of garlic? Like it's ridiculous. So we tried that and, and it, you know, I, I want to tell you it's not worth it. It's worth it. I don't know what, the way they cook it, the way they present it, it's perfect. It's just they dialed in all the – and they can charge whatever they want because yeah. – And then you can get a, a crappy one from your local diner that comes in a tin plate at like 4 o'clock in the morning. And it's what you normally eat in New York when you're hungover and you need something to soak up the booze. That's what you'd get, you know. And it's it's nourishing. It's warm. It's creamy. It tucks you in the bed. And it's perfect in its own $8 way. You know what I mean? So – Yeah. So then you talk to the chefs and they're like, well, let's add a little, uh, you know, Caribbean flair. And you're like, holy shit, this is like a whole nother, a whole nother world of penny albaca. And it's just amazing what you could do with, you know, four ingredients at the end of the day. So we, we did our homework. My waistline proves uh, the math. And uh, we really try to give all the flavors their due respect 
And this show isn't about the best because we really don't believe in the best this, the best that. I think it's a silly idea, especially food or travel. But what we wanted to do was like, what did we like? and What did we find most interesting? Um, and that's kind of where you end up at the end of the film. Like, I don't know why. What's the point of this? Like, the point wasn't to make the best version. It was just to discover it, you know, yeah. to talk to all these people, to find all these flavors. That's the that's the point of any of this. All all food is is to bring flavors to your table in the form of humans, as in the form of culture. And if you can if you can enjoy that ride, you're going to be full at the end of the day, regardless of how the dish yeah. turns out. And I love like how there's different versions of, like you said, there's four ingredients, but there's different versions of those ingredients. Um, I'm a huge fan of the the, the Nando's peri-peri sauce. It's amazing. I'll it, like I'll probably have every day of my life. And it's like, so when I came out, I was like, oh my God. And it's like, it was like, I had an emotional connection towards it. So it's like, it, like things like that. Like, it's just like, we love, it's almost like what your film is about saying as well. Like we love food, right? Like the food right. network is a genius network because they they're giving in all these cooking shows variations of cooking shows it's like we can't get enough of it i guess right right it's It's a form of pornography in a way it's like one of the basic needs of humans and it you know it's it's not sexual in the sense of of you know pornography but it it fulfills the same basic need inside of us we need to eat and we need flavor and there's there's reasons that that connects us uh over millennium and uh, you know like where did you hear about peri peri sauce for the first time I, well, they have a Nando's in, in Toronto, so basically, so you know Nando's because it's like one of the biggest global chains, and they're amazing. Yeah, you know, but in the states they don't have it, and I I only know it from England. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, so, because it's, it's on the states, I guess, eh? Right. It's not in the states, so I don't know peri peri sauce, which is amazing because in New York you think, oh, you get a bit of everything, which you can, but like I had to go to Chef JJ where he was like, oh, you don't know this, like this is part of my culture, and I was like, yeah. thank you very much. Now. I'm obsessed with it too. It goes on everything. You know, yeah. it's, it's wild. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's amazing. Uh, that that's what I'm saying. That's sort of what you're kind of uh, kind of leading towards, I guess, in your film. It's like, and it's like, and like I'm sure there was like this moment where executives are sitting together and going, "Okay, we've had enough cooking shows, right?" But oh yeah, there's not and enough. They, right? they don't want to see another white guy on TV. You know that that's the biggest uh, thing I get. Is like, oh, look like, like guy Can we put a uh, you know? <laughs> someone more diverse in and and I'm all for that. But I also feel that I don't see any role models for, for me out there typically. Like I don't see normalized two guys that have a nice friendship that aren't into sports obsessively or toxic male behavior, just enjoying to cook and, and really having really authentic conversations with all kinds of people. You know, it's not, a guy standing outside a pizza shop rating a slice of a pie angrily. It's like, no, we're, we're celebrating food, even though we don't, we're not chefs and we don't know what we're doing. We're, you know, this is the journey of anyone. And that's kind of the point. And it could take any form, even like your typical normal white guy, you know, which I really don't consider myself at all, but I think a lot of people see it and go like, Oh, you know, how do we diversify this even more? Which is, I think, again, a great thing, but um, sometimes it's nice to hear a voice talking in a different way about, you know, the things that we all love. And, you know, if we can do that, that's how I fight uh, bigotry and and racism in my own, you know, little way. It's like, we don't, you just need to go out there and have the conversations, you know, open up your world. But New York, New York City, obviously very diverse. It's the restaurant capital. There's different diversity of the capital. So, if you're, if I was your producer, I'd say like, don't, 
like the make the characters the main characters. Like you're not the main character, like in a lot of cooking shows. Like basically, if you're gonna go into a, like a Korean restaurant, Korean barbecue, or you're gonna go like the origins of su- a certain sushi, whatever like that, and then and then it becomes diverse, and then and then right. it becomes about like you know the the Western kind of point of view of these kind of Eastern cuisines, you know what I mean? Like or different you know different variations of that, I guess. Right? A thousand percent. And we're you know our job is to give the spotlight to everything else. I mean, we're doing it because we don't know anything. Yeah, we're, exactly. we're not experts. Point of view. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, you're not like yeah. Uh, there's no best. I couldn't tell you anything other than the, the fact that I know nothing and I'm falling into the story with you. And, you know, that's really how, why we do this. The greatest thing for me about being a filmmaker is I get to talk to these people for no other reason than I know how to edit and put together a film. I have no province. I have no reason to be there other than I know how to put together a film. And they're willing to give me their time and their knowledge because of it. And that's a very special thing. And I love that. So I can call up anywhere, I can go anywhere and and just base it on the fact that I'm interested and hungry to learn about them. And they know that, you know, it's not me giving opinion. It's their opinions that they're giving back to me. Yeah, exactly. And that's the spotlight. You know, that's the point of all this. And then you got you go into in this particular film, you go into the um the vodka kind of manufacturing plants, which was which is fascinating, right? Right. Like, I mean, I don't you can drink, but I was fascinated by it. Like it was just like so interesting. Yeah, you don't you don't need to like any of this. I think yeah, the, exactly. Or you know, it's interesting the chemistry that goes behind it. It's interesting the history that goes behind it too. I mean, one of my favorite parts was I got to talk to Herb Vies, which is the father of molecular gastronomy. Who am I to call this guy up on Skype? Yeah, and exactly. have a, I was at an airport when he called. I was like, I gotta take this call, you know. So like the the quality is garbage because the Wi-Fi was garbage. But like I got to talk to this man that dedicated his life to the yeah. science of food, which is mind blowing to me. And I got to learn so much about it, you know, and not just him, but like another chemist too, to have like a count, counterpoint, you know? So you could take this into the, the nerd world or into the culture world it, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's one of the greatest topics you can talk about is, is food because it really encompasses all of culture humanity. So where's Dave and Tony Salamara? Where is that? Where is that? Where is that? That's on on Grand Avenue, Thirtieth Ave in uh, in Astoria. You oh, Astoria, okay. Yeah, you could easily miss it and walk by it. It looks like anyone else, but it's magic. I love to go there. It's like and that's what you're doing. You're promoting these places too, right? Like I remember, I remember yeah. talking to these guys like in uh, in L.A. where they their 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 restaurant got showcased on a cooking show. It was yeah. like a repeat, right? It was a repeat, yeah. and all of a sudden it was packed. The right. whole the whole next two weeks, right? The right. restaurant. And so, I think that and it's cool not to go to the places everyone knows. Yeah. You know, everyone wants to go to the best. They read that list, and then you go and you're all eating at Carbone and it's costing you 40 bucks. And that's great for Carbone. But I'm telling you, you can find that pasta at other places. You can make it. You know, yeah. you just gotta have the you gotta go through the motion of trying to find it and do the work. But like spread that love out. There's so many places that need that love. So it's nice to- frozen, They got frozen rabbit, <laughs> rabbit yeah. in there. <laughs> you can find anything there. And then from there, that guy's gonna tell you, oh, you should go down the, the street to into the continental meat market, you know, and get the greatest sausage you've ever had, dried Greek sausage. It'll blow your mind. I mean, you can literally walk through every country in the world in Queens, yeah. but there's no international travel show that happens just in Queens, and there should be, you know? You can literally travel the world and not go out of the borough. It's amazing. Which is, you know, like it's it's probably the, the underrated borough, the five boroughs too, right? Yeah. Why is that a secret? 
Everyone wants to go to Brooklyn. Brooklyn's great. Manhattan's great. But I'm telling you, the real people, aren't the real food, like it's a secret at Queens. They don't care. They're just making it. They're eating it. And they don't care. They don't care who knows about it. And you, wouldn't happen to, you wouldn't happen to be from there, would you? Maybe. <laughs> so no, but, I'm, from, I'm from Long Island, which is like uh, Queens light. It's right, the yeah. worst. Well, no, but I lived there for many, many years. And I call it home because I choose to. You know, I can live anywhere, but I choose to be from Queens. And that's, you know, that's my right. Gotcha. So you're like, oh, yeah, you don't like sports. I was going to say you're like a, a Jets fan. You'd be a Jets fan and a Mets fan, I guess. It's not that I don't like sports. I do like them. I like what they stand for. I understand <laughs> them. I will watch them and I will obviously eat stadium food until okay. I, I'm blue in the face. But like, I don't, I can't obsess over it. Where it overshadows other things, like I feel like everything is kind of that, that's just being healthy. That's just being a healthy person. Probably, probably. I would <laughs> like the, to, yeah. the people. Their they might say that they're Mets and Jets fans, right? And then yeah. then then Manhattan, they're Giants and Yankee fans. Is that how it works? Uh, Mets yeah, and Yankees, and there would be the Giants and the Jets for football, and then no, the I'm Islanders saying but the like, Rangers. like people in Queens, they follow the they. There's like they don't like the Giants, they like the Jets, or they like. I thought they, they're all the only Mets. I know the Mets play there, but I was just curious. It's, I would say that it's probably the Giants and the Mets. Oh, the Giants and the Mets. Okay. Yeah. But to be honest with you, everyone's from a different country and they're like, no, I like, uh, you know, Arsenal football. It's like, gotcha. you know, that's why I like Queens is because you're not going to get into a sports conversation unless you want to, you know, gotcha. and then the sport can be anything. You know, it's like, oh, well, let's talk about cricket. Like, <laughs> I don't know anything about it. Like, yeah, let's talk about cricket. Yeah. No, I I had a friend. Uh, I went to film school in New York, so I had a, a friend who lived there, and I loved I love Queens. It was like it was a really cool place. And anyway, yeah, it's like a vacation. Yeah, what's that? It's a vacation you can take in in New York. Yeah, I feel like you're going somewhere. Yeah. So okay, so this, what I I like you know what I want like if I'm I'm like the the the, uh, the average audience fans, I want to know about sandwiches. How certain sandwiches were were invented. I don't know if that's a future episode. That could be a future episode of yours. I don't know if you're, you're asking me that because you know I do a sandwich show too. But no, I'm not. I'm just telling you. I love that's my favorite food, right? And it's like all these these amazing sandwiches get invented. Yeah, that's really funny. I mean, the one of the first things I ever did in New York was a show called "Make Me a Sandwich," and it's okay. got a YouTube channel, and it's it's a little it's you know, maybe ten years old at this point. But my thing was, I would go to chefs in their kitchens and I've asked them to make me a sandwich, but like not something that was on the menu, but like, what did they want to eat? Because the sandwich for the chef uh, I've been told is like the ubiquitous food. It's easy to carry, you eat it fast, you're in and out. And like there's a lot of variation and you can make it with anything you find in the kitchen. So a lot of chefs will slam a sandwich and they have a lot of opinions on like, what's the best sandwich. So we got these really weird ones and wild ones and like delicious ones. And we talked to a lot of celebrity chefs and then at the height of the show, it gained a lot of popularity. I got to Mario Batali before the great fall of Mario Batali. And I was like, oh, this is it. I'm going to be famous. we got a show. People are going to pick this up. And then literally before I could like put it online, the guy that uh, connected me with him was like, I don't think you should post that episode. And I go, why? He goes, I can't tell you why, but something's happening and you're not going to like it. And I was like, Okay. And then like the next day the news came out. I was like, ah, oh. and that was the end of the, the series. I, I gave it up after that. I got uh, totally gutted by the whole thing, but it was a great show. And it, you're right. Sandwiches, you know, there, oh, there's some cool. great origin stories, right. About like, yeah. like these, these classic things that we, that we, everybody eats. Right. So, yeah. 
I mean, look, I'll plug it. Go to MMAS.TV, MakeMeASandwich.TV, and, uh, you know, see some of these episodes. They're amazing. I mean, these chefs, and they're so, like, alive in the kitchen and, like, you know, being authentic and just telling you why they like their sausage sandwich or their focaccia pork loin. Like, they just get crazy about it. It's wild. And, you know, they're delicious. Yeah, so people don't know. I guess there was uh, sexual harassment with Mario Mattel. I just wanted I wanted people to know what, what he got canceled. I guess right. So yeah, he he was you know when the when the movement happened, thank yeah. God it did. But you know, it's you you also don't know when you're doing documentaries. Um, sure, of course, the total story, and you yeah. you want to. There's a line of me that wants to entertain, to to celebrate, and then also tell the truth. So. There's a responsibility that comes with that as you gain new information and, you know, the world changes for the better, hopefully. And you want to be part of that that side of the story. So, you know, hopefully we're learning uh, how to be better humans through all of this. I should hope that this is the reason. And hopefully we can do that over a great bowl of pasta or a sandwich. You know exactly. I mean? Well, I think this is a great idea. And I think that I understand what you're saying with the budget and, uh, but there, you you you, t- you chose hard over over quality sometimes, but the quality is still good because it's we're so invested in the emotion of your story. But I understand from a television network like corporation that's owned by you know they they want to spice it up, I guess, right? Like pardon the pun, but, but you know what I mean. But I get it. Yeah, there's a certain level that they try to achieve, and I don't disagree with it. But I also feel that the way this got done. And the amount of passion you see when you watch it is yeah. because I'm moving so fast. It's because there's not a crew and it takes an hour to light. It's like, you ready to go? Like everyone's fresh. You're like, plug, put this clip on. We're already rolling. We're having the conversation and we're out. You know what I mean? So everything should feel very fluid and fresh and authentic because it is, you know, there's no, there's no big sets. There's no big cameras. There's yeah. no producer stopping you six times. So to me that if, if you can come on board with that, this is the best way to see it. And I'm influenced a lot, a lot by TikTok and social media. Like I consume it at a very unhealthy rate. This is my sports. You know, I love to see people create like garbage. And I think quality has really taken a backseat to authenticity. So in a lot of ways, I, I prefer to show like this. It's just about getting other people on board to understand like, oh, there's a space for that, you know, on larger formats with bigger budgets. That said, if I was your producer and I'm producing the show, I would take uh, like a really highly trained uh, reality show camera guy with his own gear. Yeah. And you can direct more and you have, so your eyes are more, can see everything because you're so laser focused on so many different variables. Yeah. You're not, I don't even uh, notice it's happening. I wake yeah, up late totally. in the day and, and I'm like, oh. I think yeah. you're, you're, you can tell the way you frame and everything like that you're a very solid director. So you being free of that and having really solid person beside you and then who can do what you're saying like basically get a lot of times like people are doing documentaries on iphones now because it people so then so then their subjects are not paying attention right they're not consciously aware of the camera so that's what i would do with you is like basically just so then you can direct actually direct the episode so i mean i think that's a great that's a great point i would love to feel that and know what that's like yeah so last question for you is what did you think about, I think you alluded at the beginning, what did you think about our audience and the audience feedback video that we, we uh, about your film? I'll be honest and like, you know, I've said this without you on camera, I've said this behind your back. Um, <laughs> I've, I, I've been in the festival circuit world for many years and, you know, had the opportunity to win uh, various wonderful awards and, and go to big and small festivals in, in, all over the world. Fantastic. 
no, no festival gives you feedback like you do and in such an authentic um convincing way where they can say whatever they want and they're giving you real emotion and it's not just a certain group of people like oh these are film nerds or people that love festivals or it's diverse and it's wonderful to hear comments about your film that you never would have thought of you couldn't think of because you don't have the perspective of this individual so um it, to me, it's the most valuable festival I've ever entered. It, you know, it doesn't matter the award if people take notice. Like just getting that feedback, being able to talk to you now, even you know, on Skype and having this interaction. This is what festivals really should model themselves after, because it gives so much back, not just to the the audience that's watching, but to the directors, to the filmmakers, and to future projects. You know, it just makes film better for everyone. So, bravo! You, you know, I think. More is the only thing I would say. Just, just more of what you're doing. Oh, I appreciate that. It really means a lot that you said. But you said that. It's true. So yeah. I, I, I want. To, I wish you the best of luck with this, with this series or wherever it goes. And hopefully, we can talk again wherever you head. Just let's stay in touch. And uh, yeah, if you want, anything you want to plug or anything you want to talk about, I'm, I'm here. So no, just stay hungry. And I appreciate the time. Where do, you, where are you up in Canada? I'm in Toronto. All right. If I'm in Toronto, I'll come. Come to Toronto, a lot, very multicultural, a lot of food. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. Toronto's rad, man. And then you yeah. can go to Montreal, which is even, they, everybody from Montreal says that's the that's the food capital of the world right there. Don't take that. Toronto's got a great food scene. Don't be like No, that. no, no. I'm just saying. Like, I'm, I'm giving you, I'm just, I'm giving, Toronto has the best of everything, and then, but Montreal has more qual, quantity and quality, I guess. Everything's great, right? Everyone's got their own, own little niche, their own little flavor. Exactly. Yeah. But come, but come to, basically, what I'm saying, come to Canada. Coming. I'm coming. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Schlemiel, Schlemizel, 